Thank you, church. What a powerful prayer team. Before the service, I didn't know they did this, but there's a room upstairs where they meet. And, uh, and they pray before the service. And the prayers. Whew. The anointing just didn't start when you got down here. <laughs> there was a prayer team that came with an anointing. And words were spoken. Do you know what God says about His Word? It says it will never return void. And that which I have sent it out to do, it will accomplish all of it. I love that word all. That means not even a little bit undone. He's going to do everything. Hallelujah. We just have a short message tonight. Pastor Kyle always says that, doesn't he? Pastor Kyle was youth pastor to my kids when they were that big. I've loved that man. He works for us. Friday he called and said, Gary, I'm sorry. I, I can't come to work. I don't, I don't feel good. I said, that's okay, Pastor. Everything's fine. I'm going to pray for you. And then about 3.30 that day, I called him back and I said, Pastor, how are you? He said, I still don't feel good. He said, will you preach for me? I said, give me a couple minutes and I'll call you back. <laughs> Spiritual daddy can do stuff like this. So I waited about five minutes and I called him back and I said, Pastor Kyle, why, why would you ask me? I said, aren't you raising up some young ministers in the house? He said, yeah, but right when I was praying, you called. I said, you don't need to say anything else. So, sometimes preachers are funny. So I said, boy, this is real short notice for me. I haven't preached in a long time. Um, so, can I just be honest with you? I was up till 3 o'clock last night working on a sermon. You know, a Pastor Kyle type sermon where I was going to tell 22 stories at the same time. And they were all going to be combined. And, and it was going to show all these deep, great truths that, I, quite frankly, I usually spend half the week trying to figure out. And I am so blessed by it. Aren't you blessed by it? Man. The anointing that's on him is, is, uh, is unbelievable. And so then I... I I even moved myself away, and I was in my own little room. And, and finally, I texted the wife, and I said, I don't have nothing. You know, that was the best thing I did, because I didn't have nothing. But the Holy Spirit had something. You know what the sad part about it? It took me 3 o'clock in the morning before I realized it wasn't me. It was him, right? <laughs> so quickly then, he just told me real quick what I needed to share tonight. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this anointing that's in the house. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. Thank you, God, that crooked ways are going to be made straight tonight. Thank you that Christian brothers and sisters who have struggled are going to find relief. <laughs> God's got a plan and he's got a purpose. And we have the opportunity to participate with what he's doing. God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Devin. Hallelujah. I'm going to do a typical preacher thing, and I'm going to pump you up real good first. And then I'm going to let you have it. It's what they do, you know. Before we tackle a few things, I want you to understand what God thinks about you. 
Do you know that God's got an opinion about you? He's got set in his mind what he thinks about you. In Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody knows it. Oh, you're with me. All right. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. First thing we need to know tonight is God has a plan for you. Will you say with me? God has a plan for me. Amen. Second thing, Psalms 139, 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Second thing, God thinks you're wonderful. Will you say that with me? God thinks I'm wonderful. Okay, we're getting some things established here. Okay? God's got a plan for you. He thinks you're wonderful. Ephesians 2.10 says this. For we are God's masterpiece. The King James says this. We are God's workmanship. It says he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do all the things that he has planned for us long ago. So God's got a plan for you. God thinks you're wonderful. Number three, I am God's masterpiece. Will you say it with me? I am God's masterpiece. I got number four, and then we're going to get into a message. Joshua 1.9 says this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Number four here, God is with me. Will you say it with me? God is with me. This is, this is laying a foundation because I'm going to shake you a little bit, and, but we're going to come back to this foundation. Every time we start to shake a little bit, we're going to understand that God's got a plan for me. We're going to understand that God thinks I'm wonderful. We're going to understand that God says I'm his masterpiece, and we're going to know this for sure. He's with me wherever I go. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We're going to read from Matthew 14, 22 through 33. This is the story, we've, we've all heard it a million times, of Peter walking on the water. But I want to set the stage for you a little bit because do you know what's happened just before this incident? Jesus feeds the 5,000. You know, the disciples were there for that. They got to see that. They got to see the power of God on display with five loaves and two fishes, feeding 5,000 people and their family. How remarkable is that? So that is the stage. That is the setting as we enter into this story. Let's read Matthew 14, 22. Now, wouldn't you know I'm... I don't have it here. There it is. Thank you, God. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples go back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the, disciple, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Is my mic okay? Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it is really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. 
Save me, the, save me, Lord, he shouted, and Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, I love this part. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him and said, You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. You really are the Son of God. The disciples, who just saw the 5,000 fed, are finally coming to the realization that maybe he is God. I thought that was a little odd. Anyway, this story of, of Peter walking on the water, it's, uh, it's in three of the four Gospels, but only in Matthew does it actually give the story of Peter walking on the water. You know, I think about how crazy it, it may have been to witness that. You know, you've got a boat full of disciples who have just seen the mighty power of God. And they find themselves in a great storm. We're going to talk about some great storms tonight. God's going to have to help me because I'm, I'm not too religious and sometimes I get out of the lines a little bit. So please forgive me if I do. But sometimes Christians have a rougher time than unbelievers when it comes to just understanding the basic things. And it's because of all the religion that has been heaped upon us that we have to wade through just to get to the truth. Amen? I have preached in places where nobody knows God. And do you know how fast they know God? It's quick. They hear the word of the Lord. They respond. Oh, that's God. I have preached in some of the most prestigious upright places and I'm not sure they heard the word of God we want to be a people that are hearing the word of God so how crazy it must have been to witness this ever since Peter began to sink some have criticized him um, but I have yet listen to this to see any of his critics attempt the same feat Examining Peter's walk, examining Peter walking on the water in response to Jesus walking on the water will teach us eight things. So I'm going to go through eight things real quick and, and bear with me. I'm, I'm going to go real quick through them because I need to get to where God wants me to be. All right. You already know what God thinks about you. You still got that? Okay. Well, God, we, what God? What? Yes, he thinks you're wonderful, especially you, Michael. All right, number one, look for Jesus and keep looking to Jesus. Although a storm surrounded him, Peter looked to Jesus. The only problem was that when he stopped looking to Jesus, uh, the principle is pretty clear here. He began to sink. When life is a raging storm, look for Jesus and keep looking to Jesus. With these eight points will come eight questions. The question that we have for point one here is, what does looking to Jesus look like? This is, these are eight questions I want you to examine within yourself. What does it look like to you to be looking unto Jesus? You know, there's a, there's a popular scripture in Hebrews that says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. Are your eyes on him? Come on, church. Are your eyes on him? If your eyes on him, you're not going to sink. That's what it'll tell you, right? Can I go ahead and bust that for you? You're going to sink. But there's a hand that's going to come out. And when that hand reaches your hand as you're sinking, it says the both of them go back in the boat. And then they all realize who God is. 
we're not perfect. We're not. In our, all our religiosity, we're not perfect. And the moment we start thinking we are, it's that sinking feeling. And the Savior reaches out and grabs us. Number two, when Jesus commands you to obey him, do it. Isn't that real simple? When Jesus commands you, see, what did Peter say? Jesus, if that is really you, I don't know if they forgot what he looked like. From 15 minutes before when he fed the 5,000 people. Right? But he said, Jesus, if that's really you, bid me to come to you. Do you know what Jesus' response was? Real simple. Come. Do you know what his response is to you tonight? It's real simple. Come. You don't have to ask. Just come. Come just as you are. Right? He'll receive you. That's point number two. The question with that is, is there any area in your life that you're not obeying the Lord? Question number two, or question number one was, what does looking to Jesus look like for you? Question number two, is there any area in your life where you're not obeying the Lord? You know, the Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. He's looking for a church that will just be obedient. He's not looking for a perfect people. He's got the perfection part under control. You know what happens? We get to get lost in him. I'm a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new, right? Then he says that same spirit. Ooh, could this be true? Could this be true? The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in my mortal body. That very same spirit. Number three, faith is simply taking the next step. Peter took one step to get out of the boat and onto the water. Peter was doing just fine when he was focused on his next step. He was doing just fine when his focus was on Jesus but he got in trouble when his eyes left the face of Jesus. When he began to notice there is a storm here. The wind is blowing. The waves are great. He lost sight of his next step. Question number three. What next step has Jesus asked you to take? If you're not taking steps, you're not moving forward. See, we get so comfortable. Oh, God, help me. This is, and I'm telling on myself. We get so comfortable in our little place that we stop taking the steps forward. You know, it feels pretty good right here. It feels pretty good right here in this seat, sitting on my blessed assurance. You know, it feels pretty good. It feels comfortable. But I'm not pushing forward. Peter, you got to love him. He said, God. Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come. And Jesus said, come. And you know what he did? He took a step forward. And he took another step forward. God's wanting us to take some steps forward. As relentless, as pastors teaching us, as we're preparing to do what God's called you to do in this city, it's going to take some steps forward. You know, it's one thing to take a step back. I'd almost rather you take a step back than to just stay where you are. Because when you take a step back, at least you got something to look forward to. When you sit right there in the same old place, with the same old ideas, with the same old thinking, it becomes a trap. Number four, faith unleashes the supernatural. Peter did not experience the supernatural power of God that allowed him to walk on the water until what? Till he trusted it as evidenced by his actions. Do you know the Bible says faith without works is dead. 
So Peter realizes it's Jesus, right? Do you think the rest of the disciples in the boat realized it was Jesus? I think they probably did. But they were pretty comfortable in that boat. Felt pretty good. It was probably a little bit better than trying to walk on the waves in the middle of a great storm, right? Faith without works. Put some action to what you're being taught, right? Pastor Kyle seeks the face of God. Trust me, I know I talk to him every day. He seeks the face of God. He brings the message. Do you know that message is not intended just to tickle your ears? The Word of God is supposed to find a place in you and it's supposed to produce something in you. There's supposed to be a hunger that starts to well up with inside you that says, if I don't take a step towards Him, I don't know what I'm going to do. Amen. Hallelujah. Question number four, is there anything you need to do to need to be doing differently in your faith? My dad's been a preacher all his life, and you've heard Pastor Kyle say, God's taking us from glory to glory. My dad would always say, God's taking us from faith to faith, to more faith, to a little more faith. And then when you think you've done all to stand, I'll give you a little bit more faith. We need a church that has faith again. We need to begin to believe the promises of God. Are they real? The Bible says they are yes and amen. Are they for me? Every single one. Are they for you? What God say about you? <laughs> You're wonderful. You're his masterpiece. He's always with you. Number five, listen to this. Fear will sink you. When Peter had faith, he walked on the water. When he had fear, he sank in the water. The same is true for you. Fear will sink you. The fifth question, is there any fear that is gripping and controlling your decision-making? I'm laying these things out for the church. Listen, when you get ready to make your decisions, this is, what, this is how I'm going to move forward. Are you moving forward in fear or in faith? That's never a snap decision. What kind of time are you taking with God to say, my faith is such that I'm moving this way. I'm hearing his voice. I'm doing what he says. And I'm moving forward. That's what he's asking of us. Number six, Jesus saves you from many things. Jesus not only saved Peter and the rest of us from hell, right? He saved Peter from drowning right there. This is, an, this is a neat question. What things has Jesus saved you from? Do you ever rehearse the goodness of God? Do you ever just take a step back? Sometimes my wife and I'll do this. She'll say, remember when? And it'll be a time where maybe we struggled or maybe there was an issue, but God came through. Do you know that builds up the most holy, come on church, the faith that builds up the most holy faith in you when you rehearse the goodness of God and what he's done for you. Has God done anything for you, church? We need to live like God's doing something for us. Sometimes we get mixed up because we've got these two things. Boy, I, I think some of the time if we didn't have those two things, we'd be a lot better off because we're too used to going by what we see instead of what we know to be true. See, faith don't get mixed up with your eyesight. Faith says, I don't care about what you see. Right? Faith says, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above 
all you could ask or think. Amen? Number seven, a little faith, I love this, is better than no faith. The Lord, Jesus spoke to Peter and he said, oh, you got little faith. But what does that say about the rest of the disciples in the boat? Can I ask you this question? Question number seven. Is faith moving you? Faith moved Peter to take a step out. Now I know you're all wondering where in the world is this guy going? It's all going to come together in a minute. Stay with me. Number eight. You can choose to worry or worship. In an instant, the men went from worrying about their circumstances to worshiping their Christ. Let me ask you this question, question number eight. How is your worship going with the Lord? Anybody face a storm in your life? Anybody learn to worship through a storm? Oh, it's a hard thing to do. But if you'll begin to do it, you'll get a clear picture of him. This is, this is the difference. And this is what you can be to the people around you. Peter decided, I'm going to take a step out, right? He begins to look at his circumstances and he begins to sink. And that happens to us all, but Jesus reaches out and grabs him. And he goes back to the boat with him. And not only does he himself get to experience the goodness and the greatness of God, but everybody in the boat. Anybody got anybody in the boat with you? (laughs) If you don't think it's worth doing for yourself... Can I just ask, will you do it for your family? Will you do it for your church? Will you take a step out in faith? Because it says, as soon as Jesus grabbed Peter and they got back to the boat, what happened to the storm? Where is that storm? Oh, Jesus in your boat. I want to get Jesus in my boat, don't you? Hallelujah. Thank you, God. That's all the preacher part of it. Now I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit's got to say. Are you ready? Thank you, God. Let me ask you this question. What has the storms of life produced in your boat? What are you riding around with? And as I began to pray about this, the Spirit of God gave me a a small list. And I believe it's for us here tonight. We've got some stuff in the boat with us that really hinders us, that makes things hard on us, that keeps us from being all that God's called us to be. What's in your boat? Can I tell you that some church folks have addiction in their boat? Something that they struggle with day in and day out. I'm not here to make you feel guilty for that. This is not what that's about. I'm just saying it keeps you from what God has for you. What's the title of the message? It's time to get out of the boat. It's time to get out of addiction. It's time to get out of that thing that holds on to you. That thing that you've got to have or do every day. Why? Because God's created you for more than that. Amen? Because he's calling you relentless to a different place. This list is not by happenstance. This is a list generated in the middle of the night by the Holy Spirit for Relentless Church. What's in your boat? The second thing he said is, there's depression in the boat. 
you know, sometimes we feel like we have a right to some things. But pastor, you don't know what my life's been like. You don't know what I've had to endure. You don't know the losses that I've experienced. And so depression sets in. And you've got depression in your boat. And Jesus says, oh, step out of that depression. Tonight, some people are going to step out of that depression. <laughs> Thank you, God. I feel that in the spirit. Third thing he said is pride. How can Christians be prideful, for heaven's sakes? You know what pride is? Thinking more of yourself than what you should. Now, there's a difference between being confident in your God and being full of yourself. How many have been around some Christians that are a little full of themselves? Relentless Church, we don't want to be full of ourselves, right? We don't want to be prideful. Take a step back. Let the pride fall. Therefore, the grace of God go I. God, give me faith. Get pride out of our boat. How about unforgiveness? Oh. This I think church people are the worst at. I've got a best friend who is rough as can be. I mean, tattoos head to toe. Ride motorcycles, climb trees, rough. Can I tell you, rough? Rough. One time, we were at work, and, and uh, I was dealing with a vendor, and, and he began to use foul language. And my buddy grabbed him by the collar, and he picked him up, and he said, don't talk to my preacher like that. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he is. He's rough. Now I forgot where I was going with that. Unforgiveness. Do you know that he'll get into an altercation or get upset about something and 10 minutes later, doesn't bother him a bit. You hurt my feelings. I've got to go home and think about it. Pray about it. Call Sister Sally and tell her all about it. Maybe employ the prayer team for an hour or two. That's unforgiveness. Can I tell you what unforgiveness does? It draws a line between you and the plan of God. Does God still think you're wonderful? Yes. Are you still God's masterpiece? Yes. Is God with you? Yes. Is the plan of God taking place in your life? Mm, maybe not. There's unforgiveness in the way. And unforgiveness has a sister or a brother. It's called bitterness. So Christians are real good at that. We say, we forgive you. We do. But then, you know, we follow it up with, but I'll never forget what you did. That's bitterness. Forgiveness is good. And we need to forgive one another. Well, the Bible says forgive one another for Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness doesn't stop right there. There's another part of it that we've got to get out of our boat and it's called bitterness. Church people end up in churches half the time. Oh, uh, preach this kind of stuff because they've been discontented from another place so we got church people full of bitterness and unforgiveness and the minister gets up and wants to preach what God wants to do right because God's got a plan for your life because you're wonderful and you're his masterpiece and he's with you but You've got this unforgiveness. Well, that last church really hurt me. 
Is that hurt real? I'm not denying that it's not real. What I'm letting you know this, this evening is you can let it go. You can get out of the boat. You can leave it behind. Amen. Let's see what, what else the Lord. This one I'm going to share with you. It's kind of hard. Sickness. I know more sick people that go to church than I know sick people that don't go to church. Have any of you ever found that to be true? Where I've got this wrong with me and I've got this wrong with me and I've got this problem and I'm struggling with this and God help me with that. Do you know what it does? This is, these are all lies of the enemy. It consumes your time. It consumes your focus. So instead of stepping out with your eyes set on Jesus, wanting to do what he's called you to do, you're too busy worried about how this feels. We got to get over how it feels. How it feels can be an obstacle. Just like how you see can be an obstacle to your faith. Don't go by what you feel. Go by what he says. When you go by what he says, see, his word does not return void. It'll do what it's supposed to do. How about familiar? The familiar. These are all things that keep you in the boat. We had a whole group of disciples that stayed in the boat. Only one exercised what the Bible called just a little tiny bit of faith. By the way, what does the Bible say what a little bit of faith can do? The size of a mustard seed can remove a mountain. Can I challenge you tonight to just muster up a little bit? Just muster up a little bit. He'll take care of the rest. And do you know, faith is like muscles. When you exercise a little bit of faith, do you know that faith will begin to grow? And you'll begin to get strong in faith. And you'll begin to believe God for things other people are thinking you're a little crazy for. That's okay. Because you're stretching your faith. You're working it out. But the familiar. Church people are real bad about this too. We don't like anything to change. You know, we get comfortable right in our place. We get comfortable right in our bitterness. We get comfortable right in our unforgiveness. We get comfortable in all these things that keep us in the boat and don't allow us to do what God has called us to do. And we don't get nothing accomplished. God has got his hand on Relentless Church. And it's not for you to sit there and be comfortable and hear the word of the Lord and be blessed. Can I tell you, you can hear the word of the Lord and be blessed anywhere, anytime. Amen? So church has to be something more than that, doesn't it? This is an equipping of the saints to go out and do the work of the Lord. Amen? Amen. So get away from the familiar, the easy, the relaxation. Is there something bad about a challenge? Is there something bad about a goal? Set them. The Apostle Paul said, this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are where? I press toward the mark. I'm moving forward to something. Are you moving forward to something, church? Or are you satisfied with just being right there? Oh, my, that was a good word from the Lord, wasn't it? Yeah, it just really blessed me. I can't wait till next Saturday where I get to hear another one. Maybe if I get crazy, I'll turn on Jensen Franklin on Sunday. 
get two. That's what we do. That's what we do. God has more. Amen? He has more. I've got one, one last thing that the Holy Spirit uh, ministered to me that keeps us locked up in that boat. And that's fear. Church people are real scared of what other people think. Have you ever noticed that? We're all worried about what Michael thinks about us. I mean, you know. You know what we should be worried about? What God thinks about you. You know what God thinks about you? You're wonderful. You're his masterpiece. His plan for you is good, and he'll never leave you or forsake you. Mm. Isn't that good? Jesus comes in the middle of your storm, and this is what he says. Come on, get out of that boat. Get out of that bitterness. Get out of that sickness. Get out of that familiar, easy place. Get out of that disposition of prideful attitude. Get out of that addiction. And you know, here's another thing church people do when we think about addiction. We always think about all the bad stuff, don't we? Well, they're doing drugs. They're addicted. My wife tells me, you're addicted to food. You know, you got to have this or you got to have that. My dad, when he fasts, he deliberately puts the stuff that he loves the most in front of him. And you know what he says? He walks by it. I've seen him do it ever since I was a little tiny kid. He says, I love you more than that, God. And he just keeps walking. I love you more than that, God. He's looking for a church that's willing to say, I love you more than that. I love you more than that quick fix. I love you more than holding on to that bitterness. I, I love you more than filling the blank. These are the things the Holy Spirit gave me. I, I hope he's whispering some things in your ear right now. Jesus comes in the middle of your storm. He says, get out of the boat. And he will save you. And this is the greatest part of all. When you have faith enough and enough drive to get out of the boat. It doesn't matter whether you can make it to him or not. This is why I got that vision for you. You know why? Because he's going to make it to you. He just wanted you to take the step. He just wanted you to make the movement. He just wanted you to say, God, I believe it's you. I'm taking a step. And once you do that, he's got you. Then this boat you just left because it was full of all this stuff we just discussed. You know what he does? He takes you right back to the same boat. But this time the storm's gone. The bitterness is gone. Mmm. I believe someone here tonight is hearing the call of Jesus. Can you, can you picture this? Jesus is walking on the water in the middle of your storm. I don't know what your storm is tonight. I know some people are battling with that list of things I just mentioned. Or else the Holy Spirit wouldn't have mentioned it to me. Wouldn't have ministered it to me. So picture this, Jesus is walking on the water and you're in the middle of your storm in this boat. Now, you have to realize usually the boat is supposed to be the safe place, right? I mean, that's where you go. That's, I, could, I could tell you some boat stories. Remember the story where Jesus is asleep on the boat while the storm's going? You know what the disciples said to him? 
don't you care? We're all going to die. Did they not know Jesus was in the boat and he's sleeping? They should have laid down right beside him and took a good nap. But we're so caught up in the storm. Do you know there's a story about Paul who was on his way to Rome. He was a prisoner. And he was going to have to go stand trial in front of Caesar. And here comes the big storm. There's something in the Bible about these big storms and boats. And I'm going to tell you this story because I want you to realize this. That God will use the storm to do something good in your life. Paul encounters the great storm, gets shipwrecked on an island. He speaks to the people on the boat, first of all, and he says, listen, the angel of the Lord ministered to me last night. If you'll do what I say, everything will be all right. I think the Bible says all 276 people on board were saved. They get to the island. You know what happens? They're building a fire. Paul reaches in with a stick, and a snake bites him poisonous steak. I love this part. You know what he says he did? Do you know the greatest lesson us Christians could learn? Shake it off. Will you just shake it off? Shake it off. What is it that what's the verse say? What is it that this says that does so easily beset you? What is it that just so easily takes you away from God's purpose? What is it? What is it in the storm that doesn't allow you to be what God's created you to be? Shake it off. Do you know what happened when he shook it off and he didn't die? you know what's going to happen when you shake it off and you don't die? And you're still okay? And you, you find out you can make it without holding on to that unforgiveness? Without holding on to that bitterness? Let me tell you what will happen. The head official of the island's dad is sick. Paul goes in and heals him. That's pretty good, isn't it? But you know what happens then? They line up every sick person on the island. And the Bible says he healed them all. This is Paul. Now, you know what they said about Jesus? The Bible says, Jesus walked the earth doing good and healing all that were afflicted of the devil. Somebody say all. What would happen if you shook it off? And healed all. I'm just saying. I, I like the way that sounds. I'll tell you another boat story while I'm going. I still, am I okay on time? What about Jonah? Brand on the story? God says, I need you to go to Nineveh. Those people need to hear about God. There's some bad people over there. They were doing some bad things. Jonah said, I don't think so. Those people are bad people. They don't really don't deserve the goodness of God like I do. And my people there were special. He had that pride thing going. So what does he do? He climbs on a boat. And on that boat, he decides, I'm going the opposite way of where God's sending me. I don't know how many times we do this. We know what God's saying, but we go the opposite way. So you know what happens? A great storm comes again. These great storms of life that we have to face. And the people, the, the Bible says, the people on the ship all began to pray to their God. I don't know what gods they had, but they all began to pray to their God. 
And then somehow they had enough sense to realize, well, somebody must be on here that's up to no good. And so the Bible says they cast lots. Jonah ended up with the short stick. And they questioned Jonah and said, what have you done to put us all in this condition? He said, I'm running from God. He said, if you'll throw me overboard, everything will be okay. So they grab him. They throw him out in the middle of the storm. What happens? The storm ends. You know the story of fish swallows him up. He gets spit out, decides it might be a good idea to go to Nineveh. And you know what happens? Oh. Nineveh. God already cursed him to die. He told Jonah, I'm, I'm taking them all. No, no, listen to this. He said, not only am I taking all the people, I'm taking all the animals. All of them. All of it. Jonah says, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Jonah goes and preaches the gospel. They all got saved. I read in the scripture today, this is unbelievable. The king of the land puts on sackcloth and he goes into mourning. They put sackcloth on the animals. And even the animals... Go into mourning. Can I tell you that all creation is waiting for the sons of God to take their place? All of creation is waiting on you for this thing to get done right, for us to accomplish what God wants us to do. All of creation is waiting. So God changes his mind. You know what he says? I'm going to spare them all. And even that made Jonah upset. I don't have time to preach that. What, what happened there? But The storms of life. Is anybody experiencing the storm? Jacob, wherever you are, come on. I'm going to have an altar call. Oh, thank you, God. There's some things that need to be dealt with in the church. Sometimes God will make a way for a different voice. Just for a moment. To take care of things. God's hand is upon you. His plan for you is wonderful. He thinks you're wonderful. Can I tell you with all surety, you are his masterpiece. <laughs> Created in Christ Jesus for good things, for good works, that you should show forth the goodness of God. Are you showing forth the goodness of God? I am about a fraction of the time. I'm going to be honest with you. And then I expect God to do all these things. I expect to have a great impact here and there. When the Holy Spirit says you got a lot of stuff in your boat. I wonder what you got in your boat tonight. What is it that you're willing to walk away from? Are you willing to step out of that place of comfort? Are you willing to step out of that? well-deserved feeling. 
I spent years counseling people, and one of the greatest or most often told things were, you don't know what happened to me when I was a kid. You know what I used to tell them? I don't know what happened to you as a kid, but I can tell you what can happen to you as an adult. God can turn it around. If you're willing to let some things go, are you willing to let some things go tonight, church? Do we have prayer volunteers that are assigned for tonight if you'll come up? Church, my heart is that we'll begin to notice in the middle of a storm that there is a wonderful Savior who loves you dearly. And if your eyes could just be fixed upon Him just for a moment, the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of His goodness and grace. New hope. We're talking about freedom tonight. We're talking about deliverance. Set free from the things that hold you back. Set free from the bondage that the enemy has held over you for so, so long. For too long. We're talking about freedom. Truly walking in freedom. I'm going to finish like I started. God has a great plan for you. God thinks you're wonderful. God says you are his masterpiece. And then to finish it off, he says, I'm never going to leave you. We have this confidence, don't we? He is ours. He is mine and I am his. Amen. Are you his? I'm going to open up the front. I'd love to pray for some of you that would say, Listen, preacher, I realize there's some things in my life that have held me back from being everything God wants me to be. I've held on to some things. You know what I say? This is what I see. I see people holding on to things like their, their gifts or presents. You know, when my kids were little and, and we'd have Christmas and there'd be presents under the tree, oh, they'd hold that present. You know why? Because it had their name on it. Oh, this is mine. They couldn't wait till it was time to open it. You are God's precious possession. And the plan God has for you, church, can I just tell you, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's good. Not only is it good for you, but it'll be good for all that are around you. Do you have anybody at work that needs Jesus? Do you have anybody in your family that needs Jesus? You can pray and you can pray and you can pray and you can take your stand. But when something happens in you, I'm so grateful for what Michael said. Michael said, yeah, well, there was nothing great about that guy when I met him, but I could tell that something there, right? Jesus, you can have that impact on all you come in contact with. And then when Jesus comes back to your boat and it's full, they get to experience the same thing you get to experience. Amen. Jacob, sing something, or else I'll keep going. The front is open. God is a merciful God. Let's take care of some things. Let's clean house. 
Let's prepare ye the way of the Lord. Let's make his path straight. Amen. Come on, church. Respond to the word of God. Thank you, Lord.